Hello, welcome to Paperback Readers. Well, it's 2023, and that counts for something. Yeah, although I guess it was 2023 when we reviewed 2022, wasn't it? <laughs> it really was. I don't know. It's it's all blurring together to me. But but new books, more to talk about. So much good stuff. This has already been such a really good year of reading. Yeah, more so for you than me. But but what's new? Well, some of them that I'm going to talk about tonight were books that I actually finished right before the new year, and we didn't get to talk about That's them. That's a lot of mine, yeah. Yeah. I actually had more books than this, but I edited my list to be things that I really, really liked. I cut out all of the all of the extra like Christmas romances I read right before the holidays. There's no need to talk about more of those. Uh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> up to you. All right. You ready to go? Sure. The first one that I have is called Homemade by Liz Hawk, and it... I think it had a subtitle, but I didn't write it down. I don't remember. Um, but this book is a its a true story, a memoir, about a woman whose father ran, uh, was basically an organization for helping um, troubled youth in the foster care system. And they had a home above the office where some of the boys lived who were not finding adequate placement within foster families. Mm-hmm. And she and her father got this idea that um, it would be a really great program to bring a cooking um, a, a cooking program into this home. So they set up the idea together once a week, same day every time. They would go up there together. They would talk to the boys. They would cook something with the boys who lived there. So, you know, like helping these guys have some real-world skills and also um, some extra connections. And then they would all sit down around the table and eat it together. Before they got the chance to do this, her father died. And after he died, she decided to carry out this program on her own. So for several years, she went here. She got to know these boys. She made things that they wanted to make. Of course, boys came and went in this home. And she wrote about the things that she learned about herself, about cooking, about them, about relationships, about humanity. It was a fabulous book. Okay, that's the first one. Then I read Red, White, and Whole. It is by Rajani LaRocca. I'm probably butchering that name, and I'm very sorry. This one came as a recommendation from our daughter, Natalie. She had been telling me for a really long time I needed to read this book. She found it in her school library, and she loved it. And then uh, she got gift cards, and she picked up a copy for herself. Mm -hmm. This one, I think a Newbery medal. It won all kinds of things. It's a novel written in verse about a, a young girl whose parents are immigrants, and so she feels like she is two different people. She's the girl she is at school with all of her American friends, and then she's the girl she is at home as she tries to navigate both worlds and please people in oh, both sure. places. And it was just a really moving, gorgeous book full of sadness and hope and just loveliness all the way through. You cannot help but love this main character. And the novel and verse thing was a really great idea for the story. Then I read Unreasonable Hospitality by Will Godara, which was recommended by Shauna Nequist, who I just, I love her. You've heard me say so many times. She recommended this one when the book came out. Then I saw someone else on my Instagram, Christina Tosi, who wrote Dessert Can Save the World. Um, She was recommending it. And then I read this book and found out that she's his wife. So (laughs) she should have been recommending it. Yeah, I guess so. But I got the book and it was fantastic. So Will Godara uh, ran a series of restaurants in New York. I think one of them was maybe called 11 Madison Park. He talked about this in the book, but it's been a couple weeks now since I've read it, so Mm -hmm. I do not have everything memorized. But he basically talked about how the ideas that he and his partner had for creating this group of restaurants were 
um, based on the idea of unreasonable hospitality. Like you are, people are coming to these restaurants and they're paying all of this money. And historically it has been just about the food. They're paying all of this because right. the food is so delightful and creative and experimental. But he's like, why can't the front of the house be the same way? Why can't this be like we're, we're inviting people into this whole experience all the way through? And so they worked on the hospitality of how to greet guests and how to make the experience of being there in their restaurant something truly fabulous. I think one of the things that I told you about as I read it was like one idea they had was there was no parking near one of the restaurants that he owned. And so they basically armed servers with quarters and got servers to work this into their greeting, like to find out where people were parked. And then they would run out and feed the meters and let the people know that they had done that so that they didn't have to stress during their meal about those kinds of things. Which is smart on several levels. I mean, Well, yeah, so it was a great book about service, but it was honestly an even better book about just looking at the way that we treat people in our lives, the way we welcome them into our lives or don't, and the little tiny gestures that we could do that make being friends with us a true experience. Sure. Okay, so that was a great book. Then I read Well Traveled by Jen DeLuca, which is in the ongoing series of uh, Renaissance Fair romances. (laughs) (laughs) I think this is the fourth one. I really loved the first one. I couldn't have told you if there were four of those books, but anyway. Nobody asked you, I don't think so. I've I've learned. I really liked the first one. I did not care as much about the second and third, but this one I really liked as well, almost as much as the first one. They're kind of um, stretching out now into related friends and family that they can bring in with all this, but it's all centered around the same little fictional Renaissance fair in Maryland and the characters that were there in the first book. And it's just really fun. And again, always makes me want to go to a Renaissance fair, which I have still never done. All's fair in love and war. All right. Then the first book that I actually read and finished in this new year was called My First Popsicle. And it is an anthology of food writing edited by Zoja Mame. The idea is wonderful. It is an idea that you get people to write about um, a transformative food experience in their lives. I thought that sounded great. I forgot that um, anthologies like these are really, really hard to get really well. Lots of people contributing. Most of the people are not writers. Um, so it made the experience of reading it just really uneven. Yeah, I kind of usually have love-hate relationships with these kind of yeah. books. There were some essays in here that were just really, really moving and amazing. Every every food experience was a really cool experience that they wrote about, but it's just the writing was so it's uneven. hit or miss. Yeah. yeah, it was just, anyway, I liked the idea. I did not as much like the execution. Then I read Mastering the Art of French Eating by Anne Ma, and this is a memoir of her husband is a diplomat, and after a lot of other places, they finally got assigned to Paris for three years, and she was overjoyed because that's the place she'd always wanted to live and live with him, and they had all these plans for what they were going to do there, and then they had barely gotten settled into their apartment when he got a phone call, and he had been reassigned to, I think, Iran. And she couldn't go with him. Like, it was a solo place. So, And it was going to be for a year. So she ended up spending that first year in Paris all by herself. And how was she going to fill this time? And how she filled it was by writing about eating all over Paris and all over France. And as I am absolutely in love with the idea of France, I've never been there, but I'm dying to go. And eating everything, I just thought this book was really fun. 
Can we just work all of this together and I can take you to a Renaissance fair in France and we can... No, you can, take, all of these you can take your time and take me to all of these <laughs> separately. Rushing everything. All right. Then the next thing I read is The Key to My Heart by Leah Lewis. She wrote Dear Emmy Blue, which I read a while ago. And then I think last year, Eight Perfect Hours. She's become one of those authors who's just an auto buy for me. She writes, of course, really sweet stories that are centered on love, but they're also on a lot of other things too. And her own writing is beautiful. Um, yeah, I think I, I've said that, like, to really, really love a book, I need it to be really good characters. But I also need some good writing in there, too, and, and she just never lets you down. Mm -hmm. In this one, the main character is dealing with the death of her husband. They'd only been married for a couple of years. Now it's been two years past his death, and everybody in her life seems to think that she should be moving on, and she cannot move on. She can't figure out how. Um, she's a pianist, and one of the things that she has kind of done aimlessly in, in these days of trying to figure out how to move on is stop at a local train station and play the piano there. And then suddenly she starts to find sheet music there every time she comes. And it's not just any sheet music. It's music that had, that was special to her and her mm. lost husband. So it was a, a, such a good book about grief and about how we deal with it, each of us, but the universal ways to deal with grief as well. Loved every second of this book. Then I read Jacqueline in Paris by Anne Ma, who also wrote Mastering the Art of French Eating. I liked that book so much, so I decided to check out one of her novels, which was a book of the month book that I did not get. Um, this one is a fictionalized imagining of Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis's time in Paris when she was before she was ever married, when she was still a college student. Right. So she was there right after World War II ended. So it talked about France right after the occupation when they were trying to rebuild the conflicting feelings, the Soviets who were there, the, the kind of fight for what France was going to look like, mm -hmm. um, the deprivation still there, and the beauty and the resilience of not only the French spirit, but um, a young girl spirit out in the world trying to make her way. It, it was a really neat look at the possible ways that Jackie Kennedy's spirit and personality were shaped by this place and people. Well, it's always fun to take a familiar person and put them at a part of their life when they're being formed and maybe we are not as familiar with what made them tick. Yeah, and I, I kept having to remind myself in this, this is fiction, this is fiction. I don't know a ton about Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis. And um, so this was just a really fun way to kind of maybe begin to see something well, about fiction it. in many ways is a license in a book like this. I mean, you can talk mm -hmm. about a book like Booth where it's fiction, but I bet some of that is pretty daggum close to exactly how things went down. Well, now, some of it is totally imagined, but that's the license you get. At the end of it, in her author's note, she talked about how um, Jacqueline was so famously private. So there's still not a ton that you can actually find out about who she really was because yeah. of how secretive, and I don't blame her at all. <laughs> but one of the people that she talked to was one of the roommates in the house, the family that she stayed with in France. And so she, she wow. did go to some first-person sources here that were really, really cool. All right, the last book that I read, and I'm going to let you talk, is called Write for Your Life by Anna Quinlan. I don't think I've ever read anything else by Anna Quinlan, but this was just a really fast, um, really pretty kind of book about how personal writing, not really writing for publication, but just writing to bring yourself joy, to bring yourself healing, to like give yourself catharsis, to work through things is an exceptionally important thing for everybody, whether you think you're a writer or not. 
Well, interesting way to go. And okay. that isn't your last book. You read another one, but we'll talk about I that. I did, in but a that's while. our shared book, so we're coming. It's your turn. Okay. Many of these were things from last year. I read a book called The Cap, How Larry Fleischer and David Stern Built the Modern NBA by Joshua as I switch pictures to my grocery list, Mendelssohn. Uh, the, the anecdote here is at one point a couple of years ago, um, I'm kind of trying on some random side hustles, and I thought, oh, I'll narrate audiobooks. I auditioned to narrate this audiobook, and then I listened to the audiobook. Oh, my gosh. Uh, so needless to say, I did not narrate it. The gentleman who did did an excellent job. There, there was a name or two where I thought, I think I would have gotten that right, and you might have just gotten it wrong, but... Hey, he's a pro and with good reason. It was a very interesting book. Um, I've read a lot about the labor situation with baseball, but never so much with basketball. I didn't know who Larry Fleischer was, but he's kind of the Marvin Miller uh, figure. Miller was the guy who who helped players get freedom and free agency financially in, uh, in baseball, and Fleischer is that guy in the NBA. So a very interesting uh, story. I mean, kind of heavy on labor talk and legalese, so, uh, you know, might not be in everybody's alley, but but I found it pretty fascinating. I think that's really cool. I did not realize that that was a book you auditioned for. Yeah, so that's the backstory of why that book. Kid Presidents, True Tales of Childhood from America's Presidents by David Stabler. Uh, listen to that one, another audiobook with our son, and uh, I was impressed. I mean, it, obviously... Who doesn't like Kid Presidents? I've... I've uh, read a lot of president books now and you'll hear about some more shortly but uh he managed to dig up some things uh that i didn't know like jimmy carter convincing his little sister to bury a nickel in the ground and then sneaking around later and digging up the nickel and taking it just things like that <gasps> that's wicked and richard nixon smashed a friend of his i want to say it was a hatchet maybe it wasn't so i mean he didn't like cut him with it but he hit him with it and and like really hurt this kid so yeah there there were some like oh it's just good clean fun and there's some like man you had some issues as a little kid you yeah know? yikes but uh a lot of good stories a lot of stuff that either i had forgotten or, or never knew and and the writer it's a whole series uh, kid whatever i've read kid athletes with our daughter and uh, ryan really likes this series yeah yeah i mean anytime you can make history fun you're doing something good and there are others there are kid scientists uh yeah Kid artists, uh, I have to check out some of the others. But it, it's a fun book for younger readers and the young at heart. Mm -hmm. Stars of Alabama by Sean Dietrich. We talked about, or it's actually Dietrich, I have All found right. out. Um, but we've talked about Sean's writing. This is one of his novels and really enjoyed it. Reminded me of the Kent Harriff novel that I keep blanking on the name of. I want to call it Homespun. It's something like that, if it's not exactly that. Plain Song? Plain Song. That's there it. you go. That's the one. Uh, but Kent Harriff uh, wrote a similar kind of book about the Midwest, and this novel has got a number of essentially disconnected people who you come to find out are completely connected. There's an interesting spiritual component, as there isn't so much of Sean's writing, uh, I really enjoyed it. I don't know if he's better or worse as a, a novelist or an essayist, but uh, this was certainly worth reading, although I'd start with uh, Will the Circle Be Unbroken. <laughs> but you read this electronically, right? Um, actually, I listened to it again. Okay. Well, no, this was a hybrid one. I listened to two-thirds of it, and then when my <laughs> borrow expired, I read the last third of it on, on 
the e-reader. I so it, yeah, I need it in my hand. I need it in print. Well, I didn't do that. But, but I really want to read it. It's still, they, the characters kind of leaped off the page anyway. Uh, and then I read a book called Grace, President Obama, and 10 Days in the Battle for America by Cody Keenan. And you loved this. You kept telling me to read it. Yeah, I found it very interesting. It's not a straightforward biography. We'll do one of those later. Um, but it, Cody Keenan was a speechwriter for Obama. And it talks about a particular period in Obama's presidency. It's the period after the Charleston church shooting. Uh, and there were a lot of other things going on. And you get kind of this bird's eye view of how, you know, the sausage gets made uh, from a speechwriter. And the funny thing was days before I found this book, which I just saw in the library and grabbed and thought, well, we'll give that a shot. Uh, Ryan had said to me, did Kennedy write, ask not, you know, what you can do for your country. And I said, I don't know that he did. I don't remember he had speechwriters who he worked very closely with, and he was kind of shocked by this. And so I was able to, to share parts of this book with him and give him kind of a bird's eye view of this is how this stuff gets done. A speechwriter comes up with a draft. The president looks at it and says, I like it. Maybe we work in something about this. I took out that. Um, there were portions of the, the, the speech... In question here is the speech that Obama gives in the church in Charleston after that church shooting where he broke into the singing of Amazing Grace. It's one of the more famous moments of his presidency. And the story of where that speech came from really kind of gives the book a framework and the crazy like 20-hour days, no sleep world that they have to go into when a ton of stuff happens. Mm. So it was an interesting inside view Again, of how these things come to pass, I, I did find it very interesting and, and very uh, kind of riveting. You know, you, you set the clock going. It's kind of almost like a spy story in that, you know, you, you've got this fixed deadline. Everything's got to be done then. And that's just life when you hold that job, I suppose. Pretty awesome. Yeah, I just am finishing up the triumph of William McKinley. Why the Election of 1896 Still Matters by Carl Rove. Rove, of course, was a George W. Bush confidant. And uh, this book largely focuses on McKinley's election. The, the life and the presidency are kind of secondary next to the story of this big election, which felt very on brand for Carl Rove. But uh, he tells the story well. I may pick up another McKinley biography at some point because the backstory is fleshed out pretty well, but uh, you're not going to get a whole lot going forward about his actual presidency. And he served a term. It was a pretty impactful time and sets up Teddy Roosevelt, who I'm going to read about shortly. And then there was the joint book. We can go there next. Let's do it. All right. So the shared book is called Dickens and Prince, and it was written by Nick Hornby, who's one of our favorite writers. Old Nicholas, yes. So I think we read most, are there any of his fiction, his novels we haven't read? Probably between the two of us, no. There I mean, may be still I a think couple. you have probably read more of them than I have. But I think we had them all at one point, but maybe there's still a couple that we haven't read. A Long Way Down is we one of the that. kind of hidden ones that I really like. That was our first one. I, what was it? Mm -hmm. I feel like I started with High Fidelity. Which, no, you watched the movie, but you didn't read the novel. I first. guess that is true. Or the book. Fever Pitch, which is non, 
nonfiction, actually, but High Fidelity is one of the novels. So, yeah, he's got a lot, a big mix of fiction and nonfiction that he wrote. One of the things that we used to do is we would buy a um, one of those little skinny books of his that had his Guardian essays in them. Essays for the Guardian that he'd written on, like, I guess lots of stuff he'd been reading. Yeah, he wrote kind of a book's column, yeah. And so when we were on trips, I would read them out loud to you. And we would buy these and I would read them out loud to you and we would talk about what he'd been reading. We just, we are wild about Nick Hornby. He wrote or helped maybe with some of the screenplays of his books. Yeah, he has an active role in it. Which are different from, very, very different from the books of the same name, like High Fidelity, the movie, which is one of our favorites, is so different from the book, which is also good on its own. I haven't seen the new TV series, too. They just started of it. It's a girl protagonist. No, you're kidding me. No, the, the record store owner is a girl, so... We have to check this out. Yep. So, we... Okay, so things that we love about Nick Hornby. Um, themes that kind of seem to run through a lot of his fiction. You've got these um, hapless, clueless men who have, <laughs> have a lot to learn about themselves, about what it means to be a whole person, Intimacy. about the women in their lives, yeah, about how to put together a whole and complete life that truly makes them happy while they're just living all clueless out there. But they know everything about Something. 80s rock music yeah. or Bolton football or, yeah. you know, whatever. Um, and they're hilarious. They are so laugh out loud, cry <laughs> till you just scream because they're so funny. But they're also so outrageously meaningful. I recognize myself more than a time or two. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, okay. So we have loved reading them. Also, yeah, we've like learned a lot about each other, really, through reading his books and talking about them. His nonfiction is very different, but it's just as interesting because he brings just this wit and this voice, um, this sharp intellectual curiosity to everything he writes about, whether it is his essays for The Guardian or whatever. And this book is one of his nonfictions that really covers the same kinds of things. Dickens and Prince. So he's writing about Charles Dickens and the musician... Known as Prince. The artist formerly known as, yes. <laughs> and, and he puts them together. Uh, like he begins the book talking about how, you, you everybody's heard the Abraham Lincoln and uh, JFK, Kennedy, yeah, yeah. Kennedy similarities. And he's like, so I tried to do that here and it doesn't work. <laughs> no, no, there are no obvious similarities. <laughs> but he wrote this book about, because he loves Charles Dickens and he loves Prince. And he could see some thematic similarities that run through Maybe their work and their life. Maybe not so much their work, but their lives. Yeah, some sometimes the way their work yeah, came to them, or how they went about their work, right. or the way their careers were. Uh, I started. That's a better way. Yeah, to we're say not it. arguing Purple Rain equals no. Nicholas Nickleby no, no, no. or that's, something like that. And that's where I thought I was about to start yeah, going wrong. Right, right. Um, I think maybe unlike with his other books, you really need to like one or the other of these men before you would really appreciate this book. It's a short book. It's more like an extended essay about these two men, Um, but it's also about the author himself and about the people who appreciate these two men. So we are longtime Dickens fans. As you know, if you've been around here for any time at all, you know we stinking love Charles Dickens. Prince, I did not know so much about, mostly because he was really popular at a time when there's no way I would have been allowed to listen to Prince. Yeah. Can the, you imagine the, my mother letting me? No. no. The, the sex component of Prince rendered it as something that I was only tangentially aware of. So I, I pretty much missed Prince when he was so big. 
Yeah. And then by the time that, you know, I could kind of govern my own musical taste, I did, he was off my radar. Yeah. But this book um, and the parallels that he was able to draw between Dickens and Prince made me curious again. So we've been like looking at some of the stuff, for instance, the um, guitar solo that he played on the George Harrison song. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, while well, my guitar gently weeps. Yeah, the, the we watched the video of, of that. Yeah, I remembered that. I, I, I have these like odd snapshots. Yeah, and I didn't follow Prince at all. And the older I get, the more that he just randomly pops up. There will be some signs like, well, you know Prince wrote that. No, I had no idea. And there are a lot of those. I mm-hmm. mean, nothing compares to you, Manic Monday. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, he wrote a lot of freaking songs. But, yeah, and that one's a great example in that I didn't know much about Prince as a guitar player. Well, <laughs> pull up the video. There's not much more you need to know. It was amazing. Yeah. And I'd, I'd never seen it, never heard it. Yeah. So... That might, if you like one of these men, then you might want to read this book and also educate yourself a little bit about the other one. It might inspire some appreciation that you maybe thought you would never have. Um, but again, it's characteristic Nick Hornby all the way through, um, linking these two disparate subjects together in a way that's interesting and captivating throughout. And always real, always relevant. And uh, I won't. Uh give away much here but i love the ending because i found myself thinking how on earth does he bring this home yeah and he just sets it down and goes there you go and i'm like wow well done nick hornby yeah and listen i'm gonna tell you too reading this has gotten each of us separately thinking about what we could write about that we love that don't seem connected together (laughs) but that we could do a similar thing with not as good as nick hornby but just for the fun of writing it because what a creative idea what a cool idea well, and then for next time around, we uh, we go in yet another disparate direction. Um, I don't know. Yeah, maybe I need to figure out some, you know, this, <laughs> this guy's could crowning we, achievement is comparable to the works of Yoko Ono or something. Could we be many, any more excited to read this book? <laughs> All right, so we're going to read Friends, Lovers, and the Big Terrible Thing by Matthew Perry. I got this for Christmas. I just started it yesterday, and I keep reading passages out loud to you to the point where you're like, hey, I think I just need to read it. Save myself some time. (laughs) Read the whole book. Yeah. So, yeah, we're going to look at this. Obviously, Friends, Lovers, but the Big Yeah, you come to Friends as as a, like, (sighs) diehard, and I come to Friends, like, secondhand, and yet I get that odd, like, liberating freedom that I don't have all the strings attached. I I can Mm -hmm. be like, Gosh, David Schwimmer annoys me, and and I don't feel like I'm I'm, you know, messing with the show. But <laughs> the stuff that I like, I like. And well, and we'll talk about this more next week after you've read the book too, and can see all the connections in it. But the big terrible thing, of course, is his addiction. Yeah. All right, so we'll be talking about that next time. In the meantime, let us know what you are reading to start the new year. We've already been hearing from a couple of you. Um, our friend Maria on Instagram has been messaging us with a book that um, I had been wondering about. So feel free to send us a message and let us know anything you thought about what we've been reading or anything that you've been reading that you think we ought to read. You can get in touch with us at paperbackreaderspod at gmail.com, on Instagram at paperbackreaderspod, or on Twitter at pbackreaderspod. Thanks so much for listening, and uh, whatever odd directions life takes you in, I hope that there is a book involved. And if not, grab one anyway and read that sucker. Till next time.